0: Today's program was brought to you by Le Creuset, made in France since 1925, the first and finest enameled cast iron cookware, and a favorite for generations. For more information, visit lecreuset.com. That's L-E-C-R-E-U-S-E-T.com. Welcome to Meet and Three, Heritage Radio Network's weekly food news roundup. I'm your host, Kat Johnson, the HRN Communications Director, and I'm super excited to share our very first episode devoted to a special food day for food radio lovers
1: everywhere. And you know, Thanksgiving, little wonder, is my favorite holiday. Why? Because it's all about food. That's
0: Linda Palacio, the host of A Taste of the Past and HRN's resident culinary historian. We share her enthusiasm for Thanksgiving. Who could resist a day that promotes serving more than one kind of pie? Later in the show, Linda and others share stories about the foods we've come to associate with Thanksgiving. But first, we wanted to hear from some seasoned magazine editors who know a thing or two about covering Turkey Day food trends.
2: The Thanksgiving issue um, we shot in July, so we planned it in, like, March.
0: That's Dana Cowan host of Speaking Broadly here on HRN. She's the former editor-in-chief of Food & Wine magazine. I was there for 21
2: Thanksgivings, and I promise you, each one of them was a slight variation
0: on the last. For food magazines, Thanksgiving-focused November issues are usually the best read of the year.
2: So you just blow it out, and you know it's going to be useful, and you want to be really, really inspiring to people.
0: But... Spending six months of the year thinking about Turkey Day can certainly sap your creative energies.
2: At the end, when I decided to leave Food & Wine, the reason I knew it was time to go was that I wasn't excited about the next Thanksgiving
0: I had to produce. So how do editors keep themselves and their readers inspired?
3: I would say the number one thing we really focus on is flavor profiles of the season.
0: This is Brian Hart Hoffman.
3: I'm the editor-in-chief of Bake From Scratch magazine.
0: When working on the holiday issue, which includes Thanksgiving baking recipes, Brian looks for personal, unique takes.
3: Like flavors from someone's childhood that make a recipe proposal unique or uh, something new that they've discovered by moving to a new area. The pitches we don't want to see are the traditional Thanksgiving pies. I'm still not a pie person. It's not my favorite thing to bake and make. And it's probably not even my favorite thing to eat. So um, I'm definitely looking for new ways with Thanksgiving desserts so that we can boot the pie from the table for a little while.
0: Injecting new ideas and reinterpreting tradition was also important to Dana when she oversaw the food and wine Thanksgiving issue. She viewed it as an opportunity to express new ideas about cooking, eating, and entertaining.
2: As time goes on, Thanksgiving will be less about the meal of the um, early Americans challenging as that is, and become more about what do we want to eat together. People breaking those
0: traditions and saying, I want to make a new tradition. So, with Thanksgiving traditions in mind, we turn next to Kevin Wheeler, who investigates what was served at the original Thanksgiving meal.
4: It's a long way from Rochester, New York, to the Financial District, home of the Museum of the American Indian. But that's the journey Perry Ground made in six hours to clear up some falsehoods about Thanksgiving for a group of museum goers. As a member of the Haudenosaunee tribe, he came wearing traditional clothing, deerskin leggings, buffalo slippers, and a feathered hat called the Gustoa. Ground knows a lot about the first Thanksgiving, and his Thanksgiving quiz showed that his audience might not have known as much as they thought.
3: So this one up here, I said, uh, I asked this question. Food served at the feast included turkey, corn, peas, potatoes, and venison, or deer meat. Do you think that that is true or is that false? This one is false. There's a couple things on there that we know that they didn't eat. And there are only two things that we know for
4: sure that they did eat. The fact that there were no turkeys at the first Thanksgiving surprised Lisa Lee. She's originally from Melbourne, and she learned a lot from ground. To her, and to even most Americans, Thanksgiving had always meant one thing, turkey.
5: So from the outside world perspective, (laughs) it's all about turkey. It's about family gathering. So um, from what I've heard, it's actually bigger than Christmas in a sense that... People, um, I've known Americans who would just go home um, just to attend Thanksgiving, so they will be home with their families. Thanksgiving is something that they must go home to, and they will feast on um, turkey and pumpkin (laughs) pie.
4: As it turns out, roasted turkeys are actually nowhere near the original Thanksgiving tables. According to primary source testimony from the event, four Englishmen set out fouling before the original Thanksgiving feast. In this case, fowling means hunting for water birds, like ducks and geese. Those birds we know were eaten at the first Thanksgiving. Turkeys, not so much. While turkeys were mentioned in documents from the era, they were never mentioned in relation to that year's harvest. In fact, most of the foods we eat for Thanksgiving today weren't eaten in Plymouth. So
3: today, there's a lot of American traditions surrounding food and Thanksgiving. Pumpkin pie and turkey and stuffing and white potatoes smothered with gravy and now I'm getting hungry. (laughs) But um, a lot of those foods that we think of today did not exist or were not available to the people back in Plymouth in 1621.
4: The Thanksgiving foods we know of today come from a post-industrial tradition. If this is a surprise, I'm sorry to inform you that pilgrims never ate the sweet red gel we call cranberry sauce. But according to Ground, the Thanksgiving turkey tradition took off in the 1840s. That's when a Reverend Alexander Young wrote a popular history book called Our Pilgrim Fathers. The book suggested that turkeys were served during the first Thanksgiving and readers follow suit. But it's just not true. Instead, the first Thanksgiving probably represented an exchange of Wampanoag and English food traditions. On the one hand, the Wampanoag introduced the pilgrims to a number of new crops.
3: The corn, the the wild onions, the, the crops that were grown in the area, the pumpkins, the squashes, the beans, all those things that the English could then incorporate and use to stay alive.
4: The English, of course, did not entirely adapt their diet to New World plants, They brought over a number of foods previously unavailable to the Wampanoag. Eventually, these foods caught on and the Wampanoag started eating them too. There was a very slow change in the diet. I would say that the English people's
3: diet changed more to match the native people's diet and because of what was available at the time, Uh, but eventually the English diet makes its way into native communities as well with growing wheat and barley, uh, things like that, that uh, we just did not have before that. And of course, the English bring farm animals. So now eggs and beef and bacon and things like that uh, start to creep into the native diet as well. So I I would say from a, a crop standpoint, it was more a change for the English people from an animal standpoint, it was more of a change for the native people.
4: These foods brought over by the English came to dominate the American plate. But this country is nothing if not a melting pot, even from the very beginning. And for those three days in 1621, the Wampanoag and the pilgrims feasted in the name of mutual goodwill despite some problematic outcomes.
3: This idea of food is very important to people and very an integral part of our culture of who we are. And so this event shows us that these two different groups of people who had learned to live peacefully with one another, they had a peace treaty, and now they were willing to sit down and share their food with each other. I think that remembering that about Thanksgiving, instead of all the negative things that come later for Native Americans, it's important to know them. But in this instance, important to remember that this, these two groups of people shared their food and it was a time of peaceful coexistence. And, and if we can go back to that kind of thinking, I, I think we will be better off as people overall.
4: Today, there is a broad movement to revitalize and restore Native American food ways. And groups like the Native American Sovereignty Alliance are spearheading this effort, as are people like Minneapolis-based chef and author Sean Sherman, otherwise known as the Sioux chef. They believe that maintaining these systems is vital to the spiritual and physical well-being of Native peoples and our planet. Perhaps it is time that eaters can benefit from learning more about the people, ingredients, and traditions that were here long before the Thanksgiving turkey.
0: And now, we'll hear a word from our sponsor. When we return, we'll find out why certain dishes became popular at Thanksgiving. Today's program was brought to you by Les Crusades the first to pioneer colorful enameled cookware over 90 years ago. They've been a favorite for generations through the meals and memories the cookware creates and the style it expresses. My name is Kat Johnson. I'm the Communications Director at Heritage Radio Network. When I'm not making food radio, I'm making food, and my favorite cookware is the 8-quart marine blue Dutch oven that never leaves my stovetop. Not only because I use it constantly, but because cabinet space is at a premium in New York City kitchens. My boyfriend and I were gifted our Le Creuset by his family last Christmas, and it was the first piece of enameled cookware we'd ever owned. I'd been fawning over the marine blue color, especially when I realized there were only a few left in stock. When we unwrapped the box, we were pleasantly surprised to see how big this thing was. I immediately started imagining what I could cook. Roast chicken, Texas-style chili, a leg of lamb, or my favorite, a huge batch of Marcella Hazan's Bolognese. Head to lecruset.com hrn, that's lecreuse dot hrn, to see all the new products and amazing holiday gift deals. HRN listeners will get 20 percent off the new Le Cruset cookbook with the code HRN. Welcome back to Meet and Three. So we just learned that the Pilgrims don't really deserve credit for our traditional Thanksgiving menu, but if not them, who? It all begins fittingly with a food writer for Gode's, a 19th century American women's magazine. We turn to Linda Palaccio, our resident culinary historian, for the story.
1: A woman named Sarah Josepha Hale, she championed this cause to make Thanksgiving a national holiday because she thought it brought out the best in everyone. And it really, you know, it was a holiday celebrated by some, but not by all. And she continued to lobby President Abraham Lincoln until he finally gave in and said, "Okay, okay," and he pronounced it a national holiday in 1863.
0: Not much has changed in the last 155 years about the basics of the meal, which is kind of weird considering we upgrade our iPhones almost every year these days.
1: The technological revolution had a lot to do with the dishes that we find on our Thanksgiving table today.
0: Linda's not talking about Silicon Valley technology, but instead
1: the revolution that happened in the mid to late 1800s. The convenience appliances that came into the kitchens... Refrigerators, stovetops, electricity. By the end of the 1800s, we were seeing canned foods on the shelves. Late 19th and 20th century food inventions like cream cheese, marshmallows, frozen pie crusts, corn syrup, and canned products like cranberry sauce and pumpkin. And condensed soups. And, you know, a lot of the dishes that we celebrate and that have become classics... Uh, came about, well, because of the products that were on the shelves and the marketing that told us this is the product we should use. But when corn syrup became made commercially and available on the supermarket shelves, pecan pie really came into favor. And who made it so popular? Caro syrup. And they printed a recipe for pecan pie right on the bottle of corn syrup. It was a no-brainer. A good marketing
0: plan is also the reason so many of us top our sweet potato casserole with marshmallows.
1: Well, marshmallows were, marshmallows originally were served only to the wealthy and popular to the wealthy because egg whites had to be beaten forever and ever and ever, and sugar was a, a, a high-priced commodity, and it would be served as a fancy dessert at a restaurant. And then suddenly... I developed commercially available marshmallows, and one of the marketed ways to use up these marshmallows, since they were sweet and was all sugar, why not sprinkle them on top of your candied sweet potatoes, which were going into the oven, and the marshmallows would melt.
0: There's one dish that seems to have fallen out of favor, and according to Linda, it's deserving of a comeback next
1: Thursday. A typical Thanksgiving pie would be mincemeat labored over forever. Well, Thanksgiving being the celebration of harvest, it was a time when all the nuts and the fruits were harvested um, and people would slaughter their livestock so they didn't have to feed them all throughout the winter. And then there were all those bits and pieces left over. Well, making a mincemeat with suet and the nuts and the fruits was a way of preserving that meat and put it in a nice, rich crust Mmm, add a little brandy, maybe some sherry, and you have yourself a real treat. It was savory as well as being sweet. While it
0: remains to be seen if mincemeat will make the comeback that Linda hopes for, there is one relatively new dish that has captured the fascination of Thanksgiving enthusiasts, turducken. Ariyama Long takes a look at this decadent new trend. Ever heard of turducken?
5: A Turdecki? Like a turkey duck? It's a roasted chicken, inside a duck, inside a turkey. We asked eight New Yorkers about this unconventional holiday food. Most hadn't even heard of it, and the ones who did had this to say.
0: Yeah, but I've never actually seen it, and it's like kind of like Bigfoot.
4: I have heard of turducken. And would I eat it? Probably not. It seems a little wrong to eat something, an animal that's stuffed inside of another animal and then sewn up. That seems like a Frankenstein type food.
5: Okay, the general opinion was that turducken is weird. At least some people were open to trying it. It sounds interesting and I've never tried it before, so why not? Um, That would be different, but I would definitely try it out if Big Mama's seasoning it. <laughs> Who deserves credit for the Turdecan? Louisiana chef Paul Prudhomme is rumored to have invented the Trudecan in the 1960s in Wyoming. Even though he trademarked it in 1986, the culinary community isn't convinced that he created it. The practice of cooking meat within meat dates back to the 15th
6: century. It's gotten some publicity over the years through John Madden on, on football and Programs like, like yours that have talked about it, they just created some awareness and, and some of this, wow, we should try that kind of attitude.
5: That's Mike Moser, Director of Retail Sales at Echelon Foods. They specialize in turducking products for the U.S. and Canada.
6: Yeah, if you told someone that you know, they needed to um, debone a turkey duck and a chicken, that that probably alone is enough to just sort of scare them off from from doing it right so absolutely we make it we make it easy um and th- there are some people that just aren't sure how how that combination because of all of the uh various elements inside it's just a culinary symphony of flavors really and and um always moist and juicy and once they try it we find that uh we b- we have regular customers that that keep coming back as a great alternative to the traditional turkey
5: how do they make them
6: they're blast frozen immediately upon, um, uh, after they're produced and we ship them frozen to the retailers or to the consumer. We ship in a cooler with, with dry ice, a full turducken, for example, will take about five, four to five days in the fridge to defrost.
5: Mike's claim to fame is the bacon wrapped premium roast turducken with Italian sausage.
6: I've got to give credit to this fellow that said, this is the best pile of meat I've ever had. And then said, but if you added bacon, uh So that's, that's where that came from. So, um, and we had thought about bacon for a while, but never done it. So that was the sort of the, pushed us over, over the edge and said, yep, we're going to, we're going to do this. So um, as if the, the, the uh, turkey chicken and duck wasn't enough, we, we've added the, the bacon.
5: (laughs) Create a new turkey tradition with a twist this Thanksgiving. And if all else fails, just be like Mike
0: and the guys and add more meat. That's our show. Thanks for listening. We we'll hope you all have a wonderful Thanksgiving with delicious food and great company. For more dish about the culinary history of Thanksgiving, check out A Taste of the Past. Special thanks this week to Linda Palaccio, Aria Malong, Nina Medvinskaya, and Kevin Wheeler for their reporting. We're off next week, but we'll be back on November 29th with a show about rules. Meat and 3 is produced by Liza Hamm, Hannah Forden, Katie Mosman-Wadler, and me, Kat Johnson. Our audio engineer is Matt Patterson with additional engineering by Amanda Wang. Our theme song was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. Meet and 3 is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio.